0: amen so if you want to uh if you want to open a bible to 1 timothy 5 17 and following now we're going to read through it but as i'm going along you'd have to flip back to page one if if you want to keep i've got the references in there but if you want to read it and i'm going to read it but if you want to read it yourself it'd probably be more helpful if you just open the bible up okay All right, 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 17. I think there's a typo in here, so we'll fix it. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. See, that's why I got that tattooed across my back in big letters, so that I can just always be reminded of that text right there. For the Scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I think 22 is repeated. So 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous and Even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So, first of all, just a quick reminder. The first thing you notice is let the elders plural. And so every time we come to this, I want to remind you that the entire New Testament supports unequivocally that all New Testament churches were led by a plurality of leaders. So it baffles my mind how there are so many churches led by one person or led by the wrong people when the Bible is so, it's so simple. Acts chapter 20, James 5, 1 Peter 5, here in First Timothy, the entire book of Hebrews. I would never, ever, and I just, I'll tell you this, because I know you're here, but if you, if God ever calls you somewhere else, please, please don't ever join a church that's not led by elders. Don't ever do that. It's so clear. So, what What Paul is doing here is he's continuing a theme that he started all the way back at the beginning of uh, chapter 5 with this conversation about widows and so one of the most important components of a health of healthy relationships in the church is this issue of honor it's actually an issue that's a very big topic in the book of Ephesians and about a couple of months ago God began working in my heart with this issue of honor. And so I've been doing some writing on, on the role of honor in the family and the role of honor in the family of God and some different things about honor that probably will make their way to uh, all of us at some point in the near future. But it's a big deal in the Bible. It's a big deal in the New Testament. And it's a big deal in 1 Timothy. So here's the principle for you to understand. Honor is demonstrated through care. So if you want to know, biblically, how do you honor someone? Because when I say the word honor, there's probably all sorts of different ideas in this room about how one might do that, depending on how you were raised or depending on your, who knows, your ideas or thoughts or whatever. But irregardless of any of that, my favorite word, it's care. Biblical honor is care. So, when we get to this particular passage, you think to yourself, well, I don't know, that does, is this so earth-shattering? Why, yes, it is. This topic is very serious business. And there's a reason why Paul uses these, this very valuable real estate in his teaching to his protege to have this conversation. Because if you look at verse 21, you pretty much get the picture of the seriousness of the conversation we're going to have tonight. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So the question is, why is the host of heaven watching? What's the big deal? Why is this such a a huge deal? And this is part of the reason, first of all, is that as the elders go, so goes the church. The church is going to go where the leader goes where the leadership goes, that's where the church is going to go. And as the church goes, so goes the gospel purpose of God in history. See, when you go back and you look at, uh, remember when Pastor Brian Uh, Covered the qualifications for elders in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. When you get to the end of those qualifications, there's warnings about uh, what happens when these aren't heeded and they're tied to uh, this spiritual warfare conversation. Don't give Satan opportunity. And the same thing is repeated through all of these sections. When, When he's talking about Uh, widows and he's talking about their their struggle and he's talking about how they should be cared for and one of the reasons he says because if you don't care rightly for widows remember that conversation about young widows and about uh, uh gossiping and opening opportunity for satan to cause problems in their lives as some already have and on and on it goes well here we've we're ramping this way up in magnitude because now what the bible's telling us is that heaven is watching with regard to this particular issue. And so I think that a lot has been said about elders and the other thing is is that let's face it no pastor is going to choose to preach on this passage. You're only going to preach on this passage if you're preaching through the book and the book demands that it be taught on because There's really, what am I going to say that's not going to be awkward for all of us? It's either going to be awkward for me or it's going to be awkward for you. It's just going to be awkward. Now, you know me. Awkward doesn't bother me at all, especially when I'm making you awkward. But I'll say the things that I think need to be said. Um, You know, I prayed and asked God to give me wisdom about what those things might be. But suffice it to say, initially, I just want you to understand that eldership is a very dangerous calling. It's a very, very dangerous calling. It's a very serious thing. It's not the sort of thing that you can take lightly. And there's all sorts of reminders of that, whether it be simple reminders like in James chapter 3 about those who teach and the stricter judgment that they face. But there's, there's multitudes of ways that to lead in the church as an elder slash pastor slash shepherd, all three of those terms fall under. They're all synonymous with the word elder it's a very dangerous calling. Not just for, it's dangerous for the church, it's dangerous for the individual, it's dangerous for their family. I mean, you, you, if you've been around here a long time, then you know the scarcity with which we ordain elders, and there's a reason for that. And if you've ever been to an elder ordination, if you were here when David got ordained, one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is, talk, is answering my phone. In the middle of the message. No, I don't want a free cruise to anywhere. Because you're lying. Uh, Clearly it's somebody that doesn't know me, right? Uh, But one of the things I spend a lot of time doing is warning the family. So even when we initially... We pray for years before we even start having conversations. And then when we start having conversations, those conversations start with talking to the man and then, then talking to the man about his wife and how she feels about this and talking with the wife and making sure that they understand what this means for them, their marriage, their children, their family. You're, listen, all believers have a bullseye on their back. Satan wants to take all saved people out. But let me tell you something. When you serve in leadership, the bullseye is a whole lot bigger. And when you are the leader, it is a whole lot bigger. Who do you think he wants to take down? Which is why this conversation we're going to have tonight is important. Because if, if anything is accomplished tonight... You may learn a few things. God might show you some things. But selfishly, I hope and pray that you leave here committed in your heart to pray for your elders. My gosh, if you you cannot love this church and not pray for your elders. Because we are constantly under attack. And being under attack is... Directly proportionate to faithfulness, isn't it? Satan's not attacking those that aren't hurting him, right? That aren't doing what ought to be done. So it's a very dangerous calling. So when the Bible says, let the elders rule well, clearly there's there's some evaluation that just because... Uh, a man uh, is called to the position of elder doesn't mean that they ought to be or doesn't mean that they should be or doesn't mean that they're capable to be or that they're functioning the way they ought to function. So there's, there's clearly a, a, a difference because if if all of them were, it wouldn't say those who rule well. So that means some are not ruling well. And again, when you hear that Let the elders who rule well. Like, does that bother you? Here's here's what's so crazy. Sometimes people are bothered by the fact that the Bible uses such strong language, like the fact that the the leaders in the church rule. And and you feel like, well, I don't want to be ruled. Well, first of all, God doesn't care. And second of all, let's just get out on the record. I've already said this. I don't want to rule. That wasn't my plan or idea. You think the people that this is talking about are like, yes, we get to rule. That means that we're not doing it well. Who wants to carry this burden? No no one in their right mind. Which doesn't mean it's not... You see, when God makes you to do something, it may be excruciatingly difficult, but at the same time, bring you the greatest possible joy. That's the only way I can explain it. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox, which I'm so grateful that God's comparing me to an ox. Like, seriously, that's what we got going here? All right. Shredding the grain. And then the quote from Jesus, the laborer deserves his wages. All right. So four things about honoring leaders. The first one is honoring extends to their financial well-being. This is in verses 17 and 18. And this only makes sense simply because if if I do anything tonight, if I do anything well in conveying to you, Uh, just a little glimpse, a little window into what it is uh, like to be an elder and be a leader and be a pastor, then you would realize that of all the things that we have to, to deal with and worry about, it ought not be money. It should never be money. I mean, if you're walking around with a giant target on your back, spiritually, then you shouldn't be worrying about, you know, paying your rent or feeding your kids, or which I'm not, praise God. But this is why this says this, because it only makes sense. This is so logical to me as I live this life, because I could see where If I I had to worry about, you know, surviving financially, I I don't know if I'd still be here. See, Paul is addressing this temptation that always exists in the church. We see it all the time. Misusing the labor of others. Because you have all these willing servants in the church, and so part of a shepherd's role is to protect and part of protecting is to make sure that labor's not misused. And it's the same thing for ourselves. We 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 within the, the body of elders, we we protect ourselves from this very thing. And Lord knows I need protection from it. And I'm grateful to God for it. Because the church has always been a place that where people expect things for free. Now, that might bother some of you because you think, well, isn't the church somewhere where you should get things that are free? No. Who gave you that dumb idea? Listen, nothing you've ever received from God came free. Here's what it is. It's free to you. But let me tell you something. Everything you get spiritually costs someone something. You got to understand that. And so one of the things we're constantly doing is just protecting the flock by just watching over to make sure that uh, this issue is being managed. It's a lot of times that, that one of us will come to one of you and say, you know what? You should stop doing this. You, should, you need to choose this or this, but not both. You got to, it, it's, This isn't healthy. This isn't good. Or a lot of times uh, we have to step in and alert sheep about toxic relationships and say, hey, you need boundaries here. This is unhealthy. See, when I meet a toxic person, sometimes it's a toxic sheep. Most of the time it's a toxic goat. But when I meet one... What do you think the first thing I do when I identify a toxic person here? The first thing I do is I immediately start to investigate whose life are they involved in. And some of you in here right now are remembering that's very true because Pastor Tony's called me and said, Hey, what about so-and-so? And And you go, Well, they're in my community group. And I go, "Uh Uh-huh. Are you being careful? Because you need to be careful. Because they're toxic. Right? Yeah. That's right. Number two. Honoring pastors or elders extends to their emotional well-being. Emotional well-being. So after the quote from Moses in Deuteronomy 25 and then quoting Jesus from Luke 10... He moves to verse 19 and says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, I wonder why I would say this. Again, it's, not, it's logical, isn't it? The bullseye. Of course. So, the, the issue of honor in the Bible is tied to the difficulty... Of the position the person is in in life, you follow me. Why does the Bible give us this all this information about widows? not widowers, widows why? very detailed young widows, old widows, because of the difficulty of that life position. Because the Bible's saying that someone who is vulnerable to attack in a lot of ways needs to be honored. Now notice what happens. So widows should be shown honor. Pastors, double honor. Danger, it's dangerous to be a widow. It's doubly dangerous to be a pastor. See? See? That's, what, that's the correlation here. Jonathan Edwards said, None are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. They may perform their duties diligently and conscientiously, and yet they don't escape a thousand criticisms. You know, it's hard when you're young in ministry, but you know, the longer you do it, the, the better you, you are with it. But... Here's the thing, it never changes. I mean, every week, I have hundreds of critics. Every week. Every one of you leaves every week with with forming some opinion. Now here, I have to be careful not to care about that and yet to care about you. See? To balance that out and to be very cautious. Because there's lots of valuations, there's lots of opinions, there's lots of comparisons, there's lots of criticisms, there's lots of, all of those things exist. And some, some are, could be warranted and some may not be. And, and it's, it's not simple, but it's all there. And so that's why this warning is here. See, shepherding carries a burden that erodes the emotional and relational well-being of even the strongest temperaments. What happens when you shepherd is that you have a strong tendency to withdraw. Why? I mean, this is just basic, simple human nature, right? Why? Why? Because you don't know who to trust. You have to be very careful. Early on in ministry. I mean, God's been so good to me. Early, early on in ministry, just as a young youth pastor, you know, just didn't know anything. God put a man in my life who was a retired pastor who... Uh, We were, I'll never forget, we were talking one day and he said, he had pastored big churches. And he was warning me about these things. And he said that um, a lady called the church one day and said, I need to, you know, talk to whoever's in charge. And she said uh, that the pastor came over to my house last night. And she proceeded to give all these inappropriate things that had happened at her house the night before. Now, I'm sitting there, you know, 20-something years old, going, what? And so then that launches an investigation. So now he's under investigation. All this stuff is going on, and I'm, I'm sitting there listening to all this. And what ended up happening was... He, the, the time that she said that he came to her house and this and this and this and this, by the grace of God, he was with his wife. But what if he wouldn't have been? And what it makes me think about is all the times that I'm up here alone studying, then there's no one else on property. And so I'm so grateful for like just for simple things like the simple fact that my wife electronically knows where I am at all times. Praise God. So some floozy comes up with some stinking story about me. She's got a problem because we got evidence, Jack. (laughs) My wife knows where her husband is all the time. But it's dangerous, you see. It's dangerous. And so your emotional well-being is always under attack. And so Paul's point to Timothy in this text is protect faithful leaders for God, for them, and for you. See, that's the message. Because the mission of God is at stake so you, you should protect faithful leaders out of obedience to God. You should protect faithful leaders for your own well-being because you need it. And for their well-being because you need them. You see? So you, it's, it's not just my responsibility and Brian's responsibility and Matt's responsibility... And Wade's responsibility and Frank's responsibility and David's responsibility to stay out of trouble. It's also your responsibility to help us do that. And so any way that you can protect us, you should. You should. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Another one of my all-time favorites. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, except for that part, and those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be unprofitable for you. Can't tell you how many times I've watched that verse play out before my very eyes. And the beautiful thing about the way God works is that oftentimes we don't have to—it's just a special grace of God a lot of times. A lot of times we don't have to deal with our own problems. God deals with them. I can't tell you how many times I just beg God to, to help me deal with this problem This person is a thorn in my side and God takes care of it. It's that verse right there. Right there. Number three, honoring pastors and elders extends to their spiritual well-being. Spiritual well-being. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, So that the rest may stand in fear. So if an elder fails, then that is a public sin because he has a public ministry. And that is for the sake of accountability for other elders, accountability for future elders, and accountability for the church. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. So, accountability done correctly is an expression of care. That's an expression of care. A beautiful expression of care. Because in a healthy church, there are elders, but there are also those who God is shaping and molding to be elders. And so this is the way this works: is that even at this very moment, um, there are. I mean, we're we've been praying and are continually praying and having very in-depth conversations about who God might be calling to serve as an elder, and there are people in this church that we are watching that we we suspect may have uh, that calling upon their life. But until we're certain, we won't say anything. We just watch. Sometimes we watch for a year. Sometimes we watch for two years, three years. And through the course of that time, until God gives evidence. You just can't imagine how incredibly painstakingly slow the process is. And this whole text is the reason why. You see, the reason why you can't just look at somebody and go, oh yeah, that person uh, would make a great elder, is because the qualifications are not about giftedness or skill, but about godliness. And that takes a long time to see. It's not something that you can just rush into. So in verse twenty-two, he says, "Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. You better be careful. You better be slow." I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, you know. I mean, sometimes I express to you like, "Oh, here, you know, here's my greatest fear," and those things have to do with me and my relationship with you, but corporately what's my greatest fear simple it's having an elder and realizing oh no we made a huge mistake i'm scared to death of that that's a disaster now we can reconcile we can i mean we can fix it we can resolve it but still i don't want to be there and praise god in the 13 years, I haven't had to be there. And I'm very grateful that we haven't had to deal with all that. So one of the best ways to avoid painful situations involving the disciplining of an elder is to be careful about who is ordained in the first place. Very careful. It's a warning about the implications Of being hasty. See when it says. Don't be hasty in laying on hands. Nor take part in the sins of others. What that's saying is. Is that. If those who participate. In being hasty. And calling someone to. Be an elder. who, Who God has not affirmed. Is taking part. In their sin. That's scary. So it's a big deal. Those who take part in the premature ordination of an errant elder share some of the blame for the negative consequences to the church. So these are things we need to be aware of. These are things we need to be thoughtful about. We need to understand. They're not things that you're going to have to wrestle with every day. You're not going to have to wrestle with this the way that I do or the way that Uh, the other elders do but you do need to understand this and you do need to be aware of this and number four honoring pastors and elders extends to their physical well-being so you can see that the the totality of this in verse 23 all of these areas of life are covered So in verse 23, we have no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. Now, there's so much I could say about this verse. First of all, Lord, how many times have I had a conversation with somebody who has the spiritual IQ of a squirrel who is using this verse to justify their moronic behavior? Second of all, if, you're, if, you're, if you have any biblical sense about you at all, when you read this section of Scripture, this verse feels like it drops out of the sky. Because first of all, it's in parentheses because the, the verses preceding connect to the verse that follows. So it's like, Paul has this thought where he's rolling along and he's like, well, if I don't say this now, I'll forget about it. And then he just keeps going back to where he was. So what is this about? Why does he say this to Timothy? And I think that it's just wonderful that it's here and it's wonderful what he can teach us. Paul's calling us to godliness to keep ourselves pure. Then he says this, remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about asceticism, when I was talking about legalism? Well, it's connected to this passage right here. That's what Paul's talking about. This idea that someone could earn God's favor through performance or self-denial or discipline, right? That's what asceticism is. It's basically just another word for legalism. And so Timothy was young. And that's the danger for someone being young and in a position of leadership is that they can get swept up into things. And what did we talk about Sunday morning? If if the flesh is going to get swept up into something, it's always going to be works, isn't it? Yes, always. So... Why is Paul saying this? See, it starts to become very clear. He's warning because an elder is to, be a godly, is to be godly and above reproach, but he is not to have his conscience bound beyond what Scripture teaches. That's what is at stake here. So think about this. What happens... Many of you have been in many other churches growing up, and so you no doubt can relate to this issue. What happens in a church where the person laboring in the Word and teaching the Word has their conscience bound up in something extra-biblical, Bad things. Bad things. Now let's think. Why would they do that? Well, because. Pressure. What pressure? Think about how, how pitiful so many situations are. How many... We have just droves of churches that have no shepherds. There's lists. I get emailed lists every month of you wouldn't believe the list, the email, how many churches in Mississippi don't have a pastor. And it's not getting better, it's only getting worse because the number of of qualified men that are going to and coming out of seminary continues to go down, 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 down. So it's only getting worse. Yet here we sit with an abundance. But why? Not just, oh, yay, us. Why? Well, think about the situation so many of these people are in. I talk to them all the time. They're they're pastoring some little podunk church somewhere. And they're preaching their guts out. And they got their young family. You know, they just got out of seminary. And they got this huge mountain of school debt. And, they, and they're, they got all these big dreams. And they get to this church and they realize... It doesn't take long for them to realize... If, if I don't say what they want me to say... If I don't stay in the bounds of what I'm supposed to do... I'm going to lose my job. And my, I'm not going to be able to take care of my family. So when it comes to feeding your kids or taking care of your family... They don't have anything. Right? Yeah. And so what they do is they start playing by the rules so that they can keep their job and feed their family. And the dangerous thing is even if they're smart enough to know this is unhealthy and bad and, you know, I don't have the liberty to teach as the Spirit leads, still the problem is even if they're looking for another place to go— Chances are when they get there, it's going to be the same scenario. And if it takes six months, eight months, nine months, a year, two years, three years, they're learning the wrong thing. You you would be astonished. I'm not going to make a prediction because I don't know. I'm not the expert. The overwhelming majority... Of churches in the United States of America are led by people whose conscience has been captivated by extra biblical things. Yeah. But let me tell you what you're sitting in right now. You're sitting in a church where I promise you, I'm telling you what God tells me. Every single word that I say, God tells me. There's nobody telling me what to do and not to do when it comes to preaching and teaching the Word. See, here's the deal. Either you're going to hear what God tells me or I'm going to go somewhere else and tell people what God tells me. But that's the only way it's going to happen because that's the only way it can happen. And if I say something wrong, then you should get rid of me. Right? That's the mutual accountability. But when you have a situation where someone's captivated by something, because here's the thing, and there's a lot of you in this room, you have ideas and you think you know how church ought to go. Good for you. Whenever you pastor a church, you can do it that way. Right? Right? I mean, how is it any other way? In other words, as soon as we start meddling around and we start saying, well, now, you know, things got to be this way or things got to be that way. Well, no, things have to be this way. This way. It's not what I say. It's not what you says, say. It's what this says. Whatever this book says, this is the way. So, so there ought to be unity and peace and harmony because we're in this. But if you deviate from this, major problems follow. See, the pastor is a shepherd of sheep, not an entertainer of goats. There's so many pastors, they're entertaining goats. That's what they're doing. And it's not because they want to. It's because they're stuck. And that's why after 18 months on average, they end up quitting and going and selling insurance. That's why it happens. But when you do things the way God lays it out, This is what happens. See, fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Don't I tell you that all the time? What happens to someone who fears not having friends? They have no friends. Do you know anybody that's afraid to not have friends? They're annoying to no end. So they don't have any friends. Whatever you fear, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. Whatever it is, it's always that way. So now let's bring this into this text. The fear of man is a snare. So what happens to leaders who fear man? They get into a snare. So whatever I submit to, I will hold you to. Right, right. So what happens if 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 I'm in some church and there's a faction of people that have power and they're pressuring me in some unbiblical, some extra biblical way? It could be anything silly. Doesn't matter, but it's not in the Bible. What happens? It will inevitably become your responsibility as well. See, that standard then filters through the leader back out into the people. And now all the people become subject to that. Right? This is how this happens. This is why you got all these people running around doing all these weird things. Right? How does it happen? How do you you end up in a church where... Everybody, when they come to church, all the ladies, when they come to church, wear a dress. Let's just get real, okay? I'll offend people. Let's roll. How does it happen? Because it's dumb, but how does it happen? And you say, well, it says that in the Bible. Uh Uh-huh, it sure does. The verse right before it says that you should not pierce your body. But everybody's got an earring, but we ignore that verse. And we said, but this verse, and how does it happen? Because there's pressure. And then once the, the, the leader's pressured in that, then everybody has to wear a dress. But here's what happens we all know when you see them out and about, they're not wearing a dress, they just wear it when they come to church. And no one's standing up and going, This is stupid. Right? That's how that happens. That's how it happens. So see, it doesn't doesn't matter what I think about how you should dress. And it doesn't matter what you think about how you should dress or anybody else. It only matters about this. If you deviate from this, because here's what happens. Whatever the leader submits to, the people are held to. Like I just showed you. I mean, there's so many illustrations of this. So what happens is a snared leader leads snared people. See, if what, what I fear will f- fulfill that prophecy in my life, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Okay, so then what happens? As that prophecy fulfills itself in my life, I'm going to project that onto you. That's how it's going to be fulfilled. And so now what I fear is now affecting you. Maybe this is just a new thought for all of us. I don't know. I mean, I think about this all the time. So if I'm snared, if Brian snared, if Matt snared, guess what? Everybody gets snared. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. We all get snared together. Which is why we're so carefully listening to each other all the time. And watching and making sure that nobody's getting snared. See, the sins of some people are, well, they're obvious. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also, good works. Some are visible and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So because some sins appear later, it's important to be patient in assessing potential elders and let the quality of their lives become evident. See, you're, you're, you're looking to see. You, you want to be very careful about what you fear. And you want to be very careful about what the people who influence you fear. Now you, you you want elders who fear. You just want them to fear the right thing. You want leaders who fear God. Fear God. Not man. Because... It, If I don't fear God more than everything else, then I start drifting off task. See, because what's in between the covers of this book right here keeps everything straight. Because I am constantly reminded that if I get outside the bounds of this, then now we're back to the stricter judgment. Now we're back to all of the consequences that that's, so I I fear this. So therefore, making you happy or anybody else happy or even, even keeping a job is secondary to the fear of getting outside of this right here. See, with time, a man's true colors will always emerge. You just have to be patient. You just have to be patient. What the Bible teaches is that hardship comes to all of us, and it's in times of hardship that you're going to see. So one of the things that we, we want to see, like if, you're, if, you're, if you really want to know who somebody is, then you have to see them in a difficult season because you're not going to be able to tell when everything's, Fine. You gotta you gotta see them go through hardship and difficulty. And then you see how they how they handle that and how they adjust to that and how they walk with God through that. That takes time. Now, the reason we hurried through all that is so that we could get to this conversation. So let's think about some very basic overarching principles that all of this means, okay? So, would it be true to say that what a person knows is directly related to who who a person listens to, right? Well, sure. Yes. The quality of the student is related to the quality of the teacher now even when you have people that have their own extraordinary giftedness still they're going to be enhanced or limited based on what they're listening to the same thing is true if we think of like our spiritual health your spiritual health is directly related to your spiritual diet diet Whatever your, if you, if if God gave you a printout of your spiritual health, whatever that printout is, it would be the same thing as if you go to the hospital and get all your blood work done and everything. It's going to relate to what you eat and how you take care of yourself. It's the same thing spiritually. So that doesn't mean that everybody who, listens to sound doctrine, has sound doctrine, because it's complicated. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, nuances to this. There's a lot of people that come through in and out of this church that, you know, listen. they're here for some time, sometimes even years, and then like out of nowhere, I just have this bizarre conversation or someone walks up or or i pass you in the hall and you're carrying some heretical book or something i'm like what is happening right now like don't you don't know that's false teaching like how do you not know that and so i realize that there's a lot of duplicity so you know that that's the people who eat a lot of Physically, they eat a lot of broccoli and carrots and good food and all that. But they also got a big propensity for Oreos. So you're not killing it physically because, you know, you can't get off the bluebell there. It's the same thing spiritually. So you better make sure that you're careful about what you're eating. You better be careful about being entertained. You got to be careful about what's going in and out of your mind. So wouldn't it make sense if your spiritual health is tied to your spiritual diet? Wouldn't it make sense? All of this. Why, why, why are we having this whole conversation about elders? Why? Because God purchased the church with his son's blood. So do you think he's going to purchase the church with his son's blood and then just say, okay, now go fend for yourself? Well, of course not. So he's going to be very detailed in exactly how there's going to be a scenario where this thing should work, where people should grow and the Spirit of God should be, have the freedom to do and work, and people would grow in sanctification and so on and so forth, correct? Yes. And so that's why all of this matters. Okay. So just because there's a chapter break, don't think that, you know, it's I mean, we put that there. Paul's just carrying on his thought as he's penning all this out. So when you get to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he's just continuing the thought he's having. All of these things should be true in the church because the church matters to God. Because what you eat is related to your health and God cares about how healthy you are. Don't ever think he doesn't. He shed his blood for your salvation. He cares. So then, look. Look at what it says. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Now we're back to honor again. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must... Serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, I don't know if you just realized, but what I just read is one of the most gut punching places in the entire Bible. Believing masters. And believing slaves in the same church, how are you going to deal with that situation? And look at what look at what the Bible is saying is speaking into this. Now, remember, we dealt with this just shortly ago when we went through the Book of Philemon and when we talked about slavery in the Bible. And let's don't get all goofy and start mixing up American history and biblical history, okay? Slavery in the Bible is not based on race. It's 100% based on poverty. All slaves in the Bible had the opportunity to save up their money or earn enough money and buy their freedom back if they so choose to do that. It doesn't mean that slavery in the Bible is better or, or okay, or, it, but it's not the same. So don't have this idea that it's the same because it's not the same. But here's the question that we have to ask. Let's really make it awkward. Why doesn't the Bible tell the slave owner to release the slaves? Look look at what the Bible says. You're a slave, regard your masters as worthy of honor. What? You have a believing master, you go to church with your master who mistreats you, who abuses you, who lords over you. You must not be disrespectful, they're your brother in Christ. You feel the weight of all this? Why doesn't the Bible just say, release the slaves? Well, it does. Just not in accordance with human wisdom. There's a very good reason why The Bible had to say all the things it needed to say at the end of chapter 5 before we got to these two verses or else our head would just explode. You have to understand. You have to be, you have to, it's building. It started in the beginning of chapter 5 about, you know, caring for those in need among you. And then it builds up another level to, okay, now here's what we got to do when it comes to elders and leaders. And now we're going up again. We're saying the reason your spiritual health matters, the reason what you eat matters, is because it determines how you live. And don't you think for one second that God, you think God only cares how I live? He cares how you live. You. His blood was applied to you just like it was applied to me. And so just because I'm under a stricter judgment doesn't change anything about God's care for how you live. And so what God does is He says, let's get the most awkward, difficult, tense scenario imaginable, and let me show you how much I care. Even if it's this bad, you better walk rightly. Which is what you ought to understand, because if there's one thing you ought to be afraid of, it's bad teaching. You better watch out, those of you that are rolling around listening to your little fruity tooty, you know, teachers that are entertaining you with all their, you know, shallow end of the pool nonsense. And let me tell you why. This text right here. You better be eating good food. Because how you live matters. And how you live determines on is going to be based on your health. See, ending legalized slavery doesn't end slavery, does it? No, it only exchanges it. In other words, praise God, slavery is ended in the United States, right? Is it really ended? No, it just got exchanged for a different kind of slavery. Guess what? Everyone's still a slave to something, right? Yes, See, the solution to slavery is not in legislation. It's in the gospel. You got to read the Bible in context with spiritual eyes and ears. What brings transformation? Condemning a behavior or commending the gospel? You see... You see, what we do is, when we're not spiritually healthy, we want the Bible. Anytime you start feeling this, you want the Bible to condemn a certain behavior. It's because you're immature. You're immature. You parent this way, it's unbiblical. You want your kids to behave, it's unbiblical. It's not unbiblical for them to behave. It's unbiblical the way you attempt to do it, which is why it doesn't work. If God wanted you to behave, do you know what you'd be doing right now? Behaving. All it takes is a couple lightning bolts and your butt won't never step out of line. If he shot you in the rear end every time you stepped off the path, you'd never step off the path. But he doesn't do that. You know why? Because his end game is not to get me and you to behave. So why, do you, why, why are we worried about ending a behavior when we ought to be commending the gospel? So if we're going to wholeheartedly believe the Bible, well, we have to give up American Christianity. That's what you got to do. Because American Christianity is not biblical Christianity. There's no such thing. Christianity is biblical Christianity. Period. It's not cultural. The Bible transcends into every culture, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. The Bible doesn't change. Different people relate differently do things differently but the bible whatever the bible says is remember the conversation sunday about the difference between something being true and being truth we're not talking about true we're talking about truth and anything that contradicts truth is a lie so look regard your own masters as worthy of all honor why so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled, to regard whether they deserve it or not. You see that? It has nothing to do with them deserving it. The command is that you, what you do and I do is based on the priority of God, not on our experience. Uh oh. Did you get that? You better get that. It's not on what you feel. It's not on what you think. It's on what God says. What's the priority? He said regard. He didn't say regard good masters. He just said regard them. And the reason you regard them is because you're a reflection. That's why. See, here's the bottom line. The name of Jesus and the truth of Scripture is more important than your life and your happiness. That's what that verse means. Like, how many times have you read that verse and just scooped on by and didn't even realize that that thing just knocked everything right out from under you? Everything. There is no more anti-prosperity gospel than that text right there. Jesus' reputation, the gospel's reputation, what people see when they look at you, always supersedes all your hopes, all your dreams. There's no circumstance, no matter how horrible it may be, that ever is more important than the name of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Ever. Ever. That's what the Bible just said. Listen. Go home tonight and Google John Jasper. John Jasper was a pastor. He built a megachurch in Richmond, Virginia in the late 1800s. He died in 1901. Do you know what was going on in the late 1800s? In particular, do you know what was going on in Richmond, Virginia? Do you know where, the, where was the headquarters of the Confederacy? Richmond, Virginia. John Jasper was an African-American man who got saved and became a pastor and who led a church, built a megachurch in Richmond, Virginia. He may be the best preacher America has ever produced, ever. You read some of his sermons, you you study his life, and you're just amazed at what God did. And do you know how he was converted? He was converted through a sequence of events whereby when he was an 18-year-old slave, he got married to another to a young lady who was 18 years old who was also a slave. And so they got they fell in love, they met, they fell in love, they got married. And the next day after their wedding, they were on their way back to home. And their master was so incensed because he was looking for him, didn't know where he was. And when he saw them, he accused them of trying to escape. To which Mr. Jasper said, no, I'm, I'm coming back. And in punishment, his master sold him that day. He never saw his wife again. He was married for a little over 12 hours. He never saw her again. Because his master was just evil, wicked, mean. Who would do that to somebody? See, don't you got to get out of your little comfortable Disneyland lives for a second. You know what this verse is talking about? When it says honor your master, it's talking about masters who, in the Roman Empire, you, you, you have situations where, where a woman who is a, a bond servant would give birth to a child and the owner, her owner, would sell the child. Sell your child. The Bible's saying honor your The master that sells your child. How you doing? You good with this? You ready for this? Honor. Because the name of Jesus and the gospel are more important than your circumstance. Even if he sells your child. Even if you never see your wife again. These are real people in real situations, real stories. The gospel speaking into the reality of the moment. And it's saying, in that moment, when we're all sitting here in our soft little lives, quivering under the weight of what we're hearing, thinking to ourselves, well, I don't know know what to think about this. Wait a minute. What if you, verse 2, so you go to church. With the master who sold your child. Huh? Some of you can't even get along with each other now. What if he sold your child? The guy sitting across the aisle from you sold your child. What does the Bible say? What does God command you to do? Does that make sense to you? No, it does not. Is God concerned about that? No, He is not. What does He say in that situation? It's right there. Do not be disrespectful on the ground that that's your brother. The guy that sold your kid is your brother in Christ, that's your sister. That's part of the family of God, to which you think, well, how can somebody in the family of God do something so bad? Hello, do you have a mirror in your house? Look, rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by you loving the person who just ripped your heart right out of your chest Is a believer and beloved. Beloved by who? Huh? Who? God. You know what God's telling you tonight? God's saying, this ain't about who you love, it's about who I love. It's not you, it's Him you got to abandon american christianity if you're going to live between these two covers you listen you you honor the family of god because it trumps all earthly relationships what oh yeah oh yeah you cannot there is no scenario You cannot make up a story in your wildest imagination that's going to be more difficult than chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 in 1 Timothy. Some of you have been hurt so deeply, wounded so badly, treated so harshly, doesn't even compare, does not even compare, doesn't even come close to what this verse is talking about. Yeah, in the Bible Belt. You think we believe the Bible? We don't believe the Bible. Do you, live, do you live your life under the understanding, under the authority that the family of God trumps all earthly relationships? Doubtful. But it does. You see, to be saved is to have surrendered your right to choose who you love. Saved people don't make that choice. We're having fun now, aren't we? To be saved is to surrender your right to choose how you love. See, you don't get to choose who or how. So let's just be clear on what we're saying. The Bible says that regardless of what anyone does to you, Regardless of how bad they've wronged you or hurt you or whatever the case may be. If they're beloved by God, you're commanded to love them because He loves them. See, because here's what you got to understand. Is that me and you don't have any say-so about who's saved, do we? No, we do not. Who's the adopter? It's not me and it's not you. It'd be really nice around here if I could screen everybody at the door and I could just pick and choose and we could just make a church of all the people that I like or that you like, but that's not how that works. So every pain in the neck that comes in the door, if God saves them, guess what? We got to love them. That's how it goes. And they hurt you. You got to love them. And they wound you. You got to love them. How are we doing on that? We crushing that? (laughs) God's not interested in you conforming. He's interested in you transforming. Why? Why is this in the Bible? Because. How does God know that you trust Him. If He never asked you to do anything counterintuitive, if He never asked you to do anything countercultural, if He never asked you to do anything that doesn't make human sense or reason, then He would never know. This is why when you you really study the Bible, it's a bloodbath. It's a bloodbath. It pierces. It's like a double-edged sword slicing to the deepest parts. How else is God going to get us? To be missionaries to people who want to kill us. Huh? Huh? Don't you see? I don't want to condemn you or make you feel bad, but. When was the last time you even shared the gospel with somebody? Like your neighbor. Or your coworker, Or the simplest, most basic thing. You're afraid to do it. And God has called you to share the gospel with people who want to kill you. To kill you. You see how far off the mark we are? We're running around looking for a church that has the music we like or has the programs we like or has some dynamic speaker we like or has... What in the world? As all of heaven peers down and watches, how much nonsense do they see? Huh? You just get up, go to church, get you a little 24-minute sermon with three little points and a couple jokes and everybody goes home and we feel better. I'm not wasting my life. And neither are you. That's why we're here. But listen, let's make sure that we don't, we don't sit here and think, well, we got it all together. Oh, no, we got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. The gospel is a lot higher of a call than we often think it is. You think it's a suggestion when God says, Jesus said, for example, don't even, wa- don't you, don't you dare, don't even walk in the doors of my house. Don't you walk up to my altar and there's somebody who has aught in their heart towards you. You think that's just a suggestion? No. No one who puts his hand to the plow and even looks back, even looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Does that sound... Harsh to you? Listen. It's not a game. It's not a joke. It's life or death. You pray. That every time. Someone stands up here behind this pulpit. And teaches God's word. That he teaches it. Like his life depends on it. And we're going to pray that every time we teach it like our life depends on it, that you're going to hear it like your life depends on it. And if we both do that, then we'll get somewhere. Our greatest concern in this life should be our responsibility to be salt and light in the world. It should be greater than your health. It should be greater than your marriage. It should be greater than your children. It should be greater than your your anything. It should be what you think about more than anything else. It should be your highest and greatest concern in the world. What kind of ambassador am I? What do people see when they look at me? Because what Paul just said is. If the person. You see. When Jesus comes along and says. Hey. Love your enemies. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the people who hurt your feelings. Or stabbed you in the back. Or told you a lie. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the people that dressed you up in animal skins and then had you running around in the arena being attacked by wild dogs to entertain other people. That's who he's talking about. That's who he's talking about. So when we get dressed up and paraded out to be attacked by wild dogs for the amusement of people, you know what God's concern is? God's not saying, oh, I hope they're going to be okay. Oh, I hope that they're going to make it. God saying, "Hey, that's my son and my daughter who I love. I hope they represent me well." Father, we thank you. Where would we be, Lord, were it not for you? And in the tension of this moment, we receive the vastness of your grace. Because I for one declare before you, And the people to whom I love. That were it not for your immense grace. You would have killed me a long time ago. God you're long suffering. And you're patient. And you're kind. And you're loving. But help us to see that you've called us to so much more. Than we want to see. Help us to fear you above all things. Above all things. May we handle your commands as if our life depended on it. For your honor and glory. Thank you that we don't do this alone, but together. As a family. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.